It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten your... I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is... is Love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that's what you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 219 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording is 11.06 a.m. on November 8th, 2020. Here to join me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Happy days are here again. Hello, everyone. Lauren LaMagna. Hi! Cody Derricks. Something happening today? Something going on right now? Tom O'Brien. Yay! Hi, everybody. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. <sighs> everybody all at once. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Woosa. We get to exhale. <laughs> yes. I want to actually just first start off by saying that I know that there were people who listened to our show who wanted a different outcome from the election. That's perfectly okay. I have always tried my hardest to talk more about how politics influences uh, the movie industry and the Oscars and not so much just about politics in general. But I think it's really important that our listeners uh, who maybe wanted a different outcome, just understand why we're feeling the way that we're feeling and why this is so important for our country moving forward. Um, In a piece that Michael Schwartz wrote that went up on Monday, the day before the election, you know, Michael did a really great job of highlighting that Next Best Picture started in 2016, uh, September, and it was right around when Trump really started to rise uh, in the political sphere of our lives. And back then, we didn't really think that he was going to actually become the president. Uh, So for the entire time, the next best picture has been around. It's really had this shadow of Trump uh, looming over every single conversation, every single Oscar race um, and every best picture outcome. And now this year uh, looks a little bit different in that regard. So that's actually going to be our main point of conversation today is talking about now post-presidential election. What do the Oscars look like now that we know the results? I know that we've talked about this on other episodes before, but back then it was uncertain. Now we have some clarity on the matter. Joe Biden will be the 46th president of the United States. And we have a couple months left to go before uh, the Oscars still. So what does that mean for the rest of the season? But on a personal note, um, I actually just want to say uh, to the team here how proud I am of uh, all of you, how proud I am to uh, be a part of this community. 
we had a uh, Zoom chat the night before the election. It was a, an idea that I had to just kind of try and calm the nerves of some of our listeners out there who I, I could tell were feeling anxious and definitely really nervous about uh, this past week's, um, you know, very, very long and arduous election. And so it was really, really amazing. Michael, you jumped on for a bit and we had people from all over the world, not just here from the United States, but people from other parts of the world that were cheering us on and hoping that uh, the outcome would be what it was. And it really just made me very proud uh, to be a part of this community of people that celebrate truth, decency, and ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, just want to put a bit of positivity out there in the world. And that's what we've tried to do through COVID-19. That's what we've tried to do through these last four years, is we've just tried with our podcast and with Next Best Picture to be an Oscar punditry website that can just put a spin of positivity <laughs> on an industry and unfortunately a world that has been lacking it. And I just wanted to uh, put it out there in the ether that um, I love every single one of our listeners. I love every single person on this team. I love what I do here and I have absolutely no intention of stopping. Michael? Yeah. So in regard to that uh, Zoom call that we had on Monday night, it was just fantastic to see so many different people from across the country and around the world come in to the same place to interact with one another on the eve of what was probably the biggest election of our generation. And see that community, see everyone together, hear that everyone had a plan or was committed to this cause for one reason or another. It was all terrific to see. I know the rest of the week was a roller coaster, but I thank everyone for, you know, hunkering down and really, you know, looking to where things were going to be going, trusting in facts and truth and math and so many other things that we had to keep close to us over the past couple of days. It all just paid off in spades. And we have a lot to look forward to now. I'm so happy to be with Next Best Picture as we continue. And like Matt said, it was a weird couple of first four years with the site because we had this you know, looming shadow over us. And now we get to look at things from a brand new context. And that's going to be really, really exciting for us, I think. Uh, I just want to I do want to give a little uh, bravo to our own Michael Schwartz, who specifically, you know, he's obviously very politically minded, but specifically this election cycle did some really great get out the vote initiative work and volunteering in Pennsylvania, which obviously <laughs> ended up being a little important. So, yes, thank you, Cody. Michael. Never going to live that one down. That's going to be insufferable <laughs> for years. Um, I And of course, you know, the work doesn't stop here. There is so much work to be done in terms of racial justice, in terms of covid. There's family still separated at the border there's climate change the work is not over this is not a you know uh, uh, this isn't like a surgery where everything is better <laughs> there is still wounds to be healed but in the meantime we are allowed excitement we're allowed celebration the fight continues another day absolutely and you know i i certainly can understand that there's some people out there that are probably even listening to us talk about this right now and just thinking get back to the movies but yeah Honestly, it's impossible to not recognize a moment like this. It's it's far too impactful on not just movies, but just in every single thing that we do. And to not acknowledge that would be just unfair to not only this team, but to the people who are listening. And yeah, it's uh, it's been a, a pretty rough four years. <laughs> I don't think anybody is going to deny that. And it's absolutely right that work isn't finished at this point. It's really just beginning, but none of the work that has to happen 
could transpire unless we took this very, very big step. And I'm glad that we got it. It's a weight that has been lifted. It's not all of them, but I am certainly feeling a little bit easier uh, today than I did, for instance, last week. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the entire team that we shared it with. Um, It certainly helped me get through it. And I know that we probably helped some of our listeners and readers get through it too. And I'm very happy about that. I just want to jump in real fast in terms of giving context to um, how this possibly relates to movies, which is the main focus of our podcast and obviously the best picture race. It is impossible to separate not necessarily Trump, but the world of politics at large that is spun around Trump for the past four years from the best picture race. The four mm-hmm. movies that won best picture under the Trump presidency, Moonlight, Shape of Water, Green Book, and Parasite were all in their own way a reaction to, again, if not specifically Trump, the world that he created around him. So it has to be part of the discussion. And that's why we're talking about it now. Yes. Um, I'm I, uh, of another generation and I, I've been through 15 of these and in many ways with the possible exception of Barack Obama in 2008, uh, this is the most satisfying result I've seen in an election in my lifetime. And um, so let's savor the moment. Um, I think the, the, the points about it affecting the best picture race are, are very valid. And, um, you know, whatever wins, I think, will uh, reflect the uh, spirit of the times. But uh, this is just a moment. It's not just to exhale, but to celebrate because, you know, to use an Obama slogan for the first time in a long time, there's hope. And as someone who has been involved in only two presidential elections where (laughs) one did not go the way I wanted to and then one that went absolutely the way I wanted to, I feel so happy, still low-key in denial and just excited. And I'm just so proud that I live in a country that has once again picked um, compassion and character and just good people, and that we have a leader of our nation that values everyone for who they are and doesn't discriminate and doesn't say that they are not valued just because of gender or sexual orientation or where they came from or what language they speak or what they look like, and that's amazing. And then just as a woman, seeing a female in the White House in that a leadership position is so fucking cool. That, like, I live in a world that that exists now. And, you know, that's real. And no one, this wasn't a thing, you know, since 1776, since our country was here. And now we have a woman that's doing it. She's getting it done. And it's so inspiring for, you know, my generation, the generation above me, the generation below me, and all the other girls that will be coming into our nation one way or another that we get to see, you know, She's there. She can do it. You can do it, too. We all can do it. And we're just as good as the guys before us. Amazing points all around uh, from everyone. I want to thank everyone that went out and exercised their right to vote. I want to thank everyone who has uh, supported uh, this channel. I want to thank everyone uh, here on the podcast and other members of the Next Best Picture team that are not on today's podcast. And let's get right to it. Let's get back to what it is that we love to talk about so much. Let's talk about the Oscars, because believe it or not, 
for a week where I did not watch a single movie and all I did watch was CNN <laughs> pretty much all week. <laughs> I swear to God, I fell asleep with my TV on like every single night. I finally just shut it off, I think, for the first time yesterday. This has now uh, been a, a, a week where it was very uh, it was very quiet on the movie front. Not a ton of news uh, was breaking. Uh, Mank reviews officially did drop. So I think that's something uh, worth talking about because it's not necessarily what I would consider to be universal acclaim necessarily. There's still some pretty positive reactions, but it's definitely in line with those first social sentiments that we uh, saw. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, the election affecting the outcome of the race, which it will, uh, <laughs> um, I do think that this does clear a path for Trial of Chicago 7 to kind of be the story of the season. We are, you know, months and months away where there's still time for things to shift and change. But it does kind of feel like the sort of reaction to good political news in the same way that after four years of uh, the Bush second term Best Picture winners, which were all kind of <laughs> aggressive, dour, how did we get here kind of movies. You know, it's Million Dollar Baby, Crash, Departed, No Country. After Obama's elected, we get Slumdog Millionaire. So we got a celebration in a way. And while The Trial of Chicago 7 is a movie about a serious political subject, it is definitely kind of pointing to the possibilities of this country rather than um, wallowing in the, the the bad side of it, the the uh, the unfortunate effects of it. And that's like something that I kind of want to make clear in distinction between Mank and Trial of Chicago 7 is that I don't even know if Aaron Sorkin will necessarily get a director nomination for Trial of Chicago 7. He may, he may not. Uh, but one thing I think is pretty assured at this point, I think Trial of the Chicago 7 is more likely to be the Best Picture winner than Mank, but I think David Fincher is more likely to be the Best Director uh, winner over, well, everyone, in all honesty. <laughs> but, but, Lauren, you mentioned something a minute ago that I think is something that is worth considering. There is a woman in the highest uh, office of power in our country right now. Is there a world where David Fincher's fiercest competition for best director actually turns out to be a woman? Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. I mean, that's possible. I, I do think that there's a lot of goodwill towards David Fincher, obviously, at the moment, and I kind of still feel like that's going to carry him over the finish line, but anything in the outside world is going to affect the Oscar conversation. So it wouldn't shock me if stock in actually just general stock in Nomadland rose, but it does sort of still feel like to me that even with not masterpiece level reviews for Mank, that Fincher is still in a position where Regardless of how you feel about the movie in general, you just really want to see him win an Oscar after all these years. Yeah, I, I think that uh, yeah, too that Sorkin is is thought of more as a, as a writer, yes, than a director. Yeah, and I think that may hurt him in the directing race. So I think it's um, between um, Fincher and Zhao. I mean, I think there's a path right now for Travel to Chicago Seven to win picture, editing, and screenplay. That's the path I see, I, I mean, I don't know, guys, like kind of walk me through this a little bit. Um, 
because we did have a shakeup this week in the acting races. Uh, the One Night in Miami uh, cast, uh, you know, Amazon Studios announced that Eli Gorey and uh, Kingsley Benadir are going to go lead while Leslie Odom Jr. and Aldous Hodge will go supporting. So now with Kingsley Benadir out of supporting and with that category potentially being filled with a ton of people from Trial of the Chicago 7, I, and with the year that he's just having in general with Borat's subsequent movie film, I've started to consider the possibility of Sasha Baron Cohen uh, possibly rising to the top in that race. That's where I am right now. And I made that move earlier in the week. Uh, remember that board game Shoots and Ladders back in the day? Yeah. Anyone remember that? Yeah. So that, that's what my Oscar predictions have sort of been over the past couple of months. Like people rise and they fall, then they go back up again. And you don't know why. We rise and we fall and we make our mistakes. <laughs> and if there's a oh reason. Oh, my God, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, unfortunately, Leslie Odom is not uh, at the top of my list there, but he's in the mix there somewhere. But uh, the reason I mentioned that in regard to Sasha Baron Cohen is when there was a piece in, I think it was July or August about Chicago 7, it was saying, oh, and it's a, a revelation to see Sasha Baron Cohen in this dramatic role. And I thought, oh, wow, that seems like something the Oscars would do, put him up there. And then we learned about Bill Murray and Frank Langella, and we thought Chad Bozeman would be going supporting for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. So it's like, okay, Sasha Baron Cohen, maybe you don't even get in the five here. And then you have shakeups again and everyone sort of shifts over or goes uh, to different categories or we just find that they're not worthy enough. So sort of by process of elimination and having that Borat sequel in there, Sasha Baron Cohen just feels like right person at the right time for me right now. But you did mention Chadwick Boseman and we still have to mention Defied Bloods, which I definitely think is going to get a level of resurgence over these next couple of weeks, especially from the critics groups. And I feel very strongly now uh, because of the shakeups that we've had. Initially, when the movie first came out, I didn't feel this way. I thought it was Delroy, Lindo or Bust. But I am starting to see another path now for Defy Bloods to get multiple nominations in text. Chadwick Boseman in supporting Delroy Lindo, of course, in Best Actor, maybe even Best Picture once again. I think yeah. that if there's a film that like has been alterly shifted in terms of chances of getting nominated for an Oscar, it is the five bloods because of the election. Yep. I think if Trump got reelected, I don't think that it would have as much of an impact on any other films, except for this one. Now I think the chances have just skyrocketed with this film where now I see it actually as an actual contender where three days ago I didn't at all. Another movie that we also uh, got a first look at this week was uh, The United States versus Billie Holiday, which we know will be released uh, before the February 28th cutoff. Uh, this is uh, Lee Daniels coming back to the screen with Andre Day in the lead role as Billie Holiday. And based on what we've seen from these uh, pictures so far, um, honestly, the year being what it is so far, the movie just has to be good. You know, like the movie just honestly has to be a level of good where I could very well see that movie also shaking things up in a very major way. And even though we don't know necessarily anyone that has seen it yet to be able to say, oh, this is definitely going to be uh, a Best Picture winner. I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility uh, to consider because, you know, it looks like it's a tech player. Andre Day could be a newcomer who could just come in and swoop into Best Actress. You know, there's a lot of possibilities there. And it's really going to be one of the few things that will perhaps 
justify the Academy's decision to extend their eligibility window. So when we get into January or February, there might be a lot of pressure to find at least one movie from that crop so that it can save the Academy a little bit of face. Not that much, but a little bit. Yeah, I, I suspect that they're very different movies, but with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Billie Holiday out at the same time, I'm just wondering whether they may cannibalize each other. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's true. That's very possible. Josh, you mentioned a moment ago about movies that could be released within the eligibility window. Um, not that we didn't think that this movie wasn't coming out anytime soon, but it was officially, uh, well, not officially. Was it official? I don't know. But Pieces of a Woman uh, is officially coming out, I suppose, in January now at this point. So um, we know that that's going to be a part of the race uh, for Vanessa Kirby and Ellen Burstyn. But the big question mark still, we don't know yet. Is, is Judas and the Black Messiah going to release before February 28th? Hypothetically, let's just say it does. I'm really curious to know, because I went back and I rewatched the trailer after uh, Joe Biden won yesterday, just to kind of get a feel for what kind of movie the trailer is selling to us and the mood of the country right now. I had mentioned previously that I thought Judas and the Black Messiah looked like the kind of movie that if Trump had uh, won again, Judas and the Black Messiah look like exactly the kind of movie that could win Best Picture. Now, I'm not so sure necessarily, and I wanted to just hear what everybody else thought about that. Well, I don't know if it's going to win Best Picture just for the simple fact that we still don't have an official release date for it. I mean... But hypothetically, let's say we did. If we did and we knew that it was coming out this year, I would still say that it would have been a fringe contender regardless. Um we only have one trailer for it, and it's a really, really good trailer, but that's really all the information that we have. And I think that it is a movie that looks like it's going to be good, looks like it's going to be uh, an interesting watch, but I do agree with you that maybe the tone of that film won't suit the tone of the moment, but then again, it is 2020, so who knows? But we also just don't have any information, really. Yeah, because it's... Uh, it. I think what we're looking for for a Best Picture winner is an inspirational film this year. And I don't know whether that's it. As good as that trailer is, and I think it's probably the best trailer I've seen this year, um, I, you know, it, it may be dramatically compelling, but perhaps a downer. So we shall see. Now, i got to ask this question because I feel like I've been fighting against people with this. For those of you, and I know there are some of you on this show right now, so I really want to hear from you guys. What is preventing everyone from just hopping on the trial of the Chicago 7 train for Best Picture? I think the hesitancy to have Aaron Sorkin anywhere near a winner for Best Director. (laughs) You know, I mean, this decade has shown that, like, director and picture are way less tied than we thought they were. If anything, it's tied stronger to screenplay, which Chicago 7 is a very, very strong contender in. But that doesn't mean that it's easy to just be like, oh, yeah, well, you know, the direction, almost all the reviews about it noted that the direction was like uh, the, the notices and the reviews for the direction were mostly kind of critiques rather than praises. Um, so it's a little tricky to watch a movie like that and be like, well, you know, must be Best Picture winner. And for myself, uh, I will also say that, you know, there is also a little bit of wanting to be kind of different. I will admit that that doesn't. It's not entirely out of the conversation, especially when we're so early. But I think also 
we have seen most of the time that whatever you first predict to win Best Picture normally doesn't win Best Picture because you don't know what the race is going to be like down the road. And it's almost always the contender that was in like second or third that actually rises because nobody wants to be the front runner at, in the moment. And I think that that is also something worthy to consider that, that yeah, it's Chicago 7 is the front runner now, but... Is it going to be the front runner later? I still think that's up in the air. And it's really early still. And this is a weird ass year. Like the Oscars aren't in February. We have to, there's a long trail that this movie needs to go. And the movie already came out. Everyone's already seen it. So it has to keep that momentum going for months and months and months on end, which is a lot to do. And it's hard. And not every, not all of the best pictures winners previously had to do that. So that's going to take a lot of, effort and talent and just commitment on their PR standpoint. And who knows if that movie can, you know, keep the momentum going all the way into Oscar night. Yeah. Uh, picking up on Lauren's point, which is a good one. Uh, uh, granted, Netflix has more money than God, but uh, they've got so many contenders to deal with. And I'm, I'm you know, it'll be interesting to see whether they ha- they treat them all equally or they know that, um, Chicago 7 is going to be their pony. I think they know that Travel to Chicago 7 is their pony. I really do. I think that they have it kind of set that that is their best picture play. David Fincher is their best director play. And, you know, everything else is kind of like, you know, spread amongst three or four contenders and multiple categories after that. But I really do think that that is the play for them this year. And my ultimate prediction is... I keep saying I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. But the reason why I think it's going to happen is because of the trajectory that it is following right now, which is critics write it off and underestimate it. It does not do well with the critics precursors. We start focusing on Nomadland, Mank, maybe a few others that start uh, bringing in the critics prizes. And everybody then starts to shift and think, oh, this is our next Best Picture Oscar winner, you know, especially Nomadland, which has already won the TIFF Audience Award and the Golden Lion from Venice. And then we get to the guilds. And that is where I really do think that Travel to Chicago 7 will surprise people and come back. And once that happens, uh, that is why I'm holding on to the prediction, because even though I'm saying I'm predicting Travel to Chicago 7 and it makes it sound like I'm declaring it the front runner, it is not the front runner right now because everybody else, the majority of people out there have written it off. Uh, you're absolutely right about the guilds. I mean, it's a shoe in for PGA, SAG and WGA and could very, very, very easily win all three of those, which is, you know, when you have that triple crown right there, it's kind of hard to not take it extremely seriously. But Josh, I'm thinking about you, bud. I'm thinking about soul and I am thinking very, very hard about the possibility of that movie. If it's widely seen on Disney plus in record numbers for, uh, for Disney, I, I, I need to see the movie first before I declare anything and I move away from travel to Chicago seven, but I am definitely not writing this possibility off. I know it's never been done before, but if there's ever a year where an animated film is going to win best picture, this is the one. Yeah, and like, look, if Soul comes out and it is very clear from the precursors that it's not going to happen, then I will back off of it. But at this moment, I'm looking at the field, and if I'm especially trying to figure out, okay, what's maybe something that is maybe lurking under the surface right now that nobody's really talking about that could 
punch through, I do look at Soul, and we all love Pixar, and it's coming out around the holidays, so everybody will be seeing it, and it will be a really big profile, which, uh, you know, I don't think you can really say about Trial of Chicago 7. Like, people saw it, and they will continue to enjoy it, but, like, a lot of stuff that drops on Netflix, there wasn't a lot of fanfare, and there will be fanfare with Soul, and if it's around the holidays when we're a little bit more joyous and it carries that through January where, you know, we talk about the election, we will have already seated a new president and all of that will still be in the news and the country might be in a bit of a jollier state still, you know, it it could have an impact. I don't know for sure because we haven't seen it yet, but it's one I'm kind of going on at this moment. Yeah. I, 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 I think folks who listen here know how enthusiastic I was about Inside Out. Uh, my only concern about Soul, which I'm dying to see, is, okay, Chicago 7 was always going to be Netflix, destined for Netflix. Soul has been, I don't know, demoted to Disney+. Plus. Um, is that going to be seen as something lesser? I don't know, because... You mean like in the same way that people won't vote for Netflix because it's a streaming movie, they might view Soul in the same vein? Is that what you're getting at here? No, it just seems that uh, uh, Netflix was um, always going to have Chicago 7. No, but, that was actually a Paramount to begin with. Oh, you're, no, you're right. That's right, yeah. Michael. Yeah. So, But no one knows that. But I think everybody <laughs> was very aware that Soul was going to be in the theaters. Mm, interesting. See, I actually don't think it going to Disney Plus hurts it. I actually think it helps it a lot because if it was going to be in the conversation this year, I, it, it being in theaters would not have helped it because nobody would have gone to see it in theaters. And I think yeah. it being on Disney Plus has actually allowed more people the opportunity to see that movie. And it's not going to have like a traditional theatrical release, obviously, but I think a big movie around Christmas is usually what we always look forward to seeing. And soul is really going to be that kind of thing. I think for a lot of people and a promising young woman. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) In all honesty, maybe they should do a double feature. (laughs) I'm I'm hoping that two of the best films of the year, Hamilton and and soul are on Disney. (laughs) Yeah. One other question that I want to uh, bring up in regards to the Oscar race and the uh, post-election as well with our uh, slate of contenders this year is, is anyone else considering the possibility at this point that there is an unseen contender other than Judas and the Black Messiah and uh, United States versus Billie Holiday? Uh, News of the World, possibly. I mean, that's the only one on my lineup uh, besides... Marini that we don't have any word on and you know Paul Greengrass usually does fairly well recently with the Oscars um Captain Phillips obviously it was a big hit uh that's the only one though I can think of I'm making a last minute bid for Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square <laughs> <laughs> I did notice that some of you Michael you were one of them I saw that some of you uh added the white tiger uh to some of your lineups and it, yeah that trailer was fantastic yeah and i'm just curious if like you know i understand once again netflix i get it so many contenders but i'm just wondering uh how you feel about you know if that movie is received very well and it does contend in some of the categories that i saw you listed for screenplay best actor why can't that also translate into best picture heat Oh, it can. I have it at number 10 in Best Picture. Oh, I didn't notice that. Get out of here. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
probably made that adjustment like late in the week and didn't even move it to the site yet. So this is a uh, breaking news for our listeners here <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that I, I feel very good about uh, what could happen with that as a late reserve or late contender emerging from uh, the rest of the pack. It's going to drop on Netflix in late January. And maybe as everyone has seen everything else, that'll be something you just, you know, come to on a Friday night and go, wow, this is spectacular. Ramin Burani is a very talented director. So we'll see if that, uh, works well for the Academy and audiences on Netflix. Yeah, I'm keeping an eye out for it. Um, I don't know if I'm going to like totally throw my weight behind it. I see it as a fringe contender right now in something like screenplay. I don't know if it will have kind of the juice to get into the top five in anything, especially given Netflix's plate right now. But it's something to keep an eye on, but I'm not totally throwing my weight behind it yet. But it, it's awards timing is perfect. And speaking of Netflix, again, <laughs> the theme of the season, the reviews for Hillbilly Elegy are going to drop this week. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to be careful about what I say here. While I don't have it predicted for uh, best picture or best director at the very moment, um, I still do believe that this movie is going to be this year's Joker. Um, I think there's going to be a large segment on film Twitter that is going to write this movie off and condemn it for being something that it's not, but is influenced by um, political leanings and beliefs about the movie from outside uh, sources and also based on real life events. But that's not what's inside the movie itself. At the same time, I can't let go of the fact that over 70 million people voted for Donald Trump this uh, week, and that number is still climbing. And I do think that based on what we've seen over the last couple of years, where certain movies like Bohemian Rhapsody, Vice, and even Green Book to a certain degree, even though that was definitely a crowd pleaser, um, they've been able to rise above their bad reviews, criticisms, and still manage to do well with the Academy. And I think if there's ever a movie that is maybe going to still break through despite everyone's rage and in insistent critical takedowns, I think it's going to be Hillbilly Elegy. I think that the, some of the diss on film Twitter has less to do with politics and more to do with people not liking Ron Howard. Hmm. Uh, I think it's probably about equal, to be honest. <laughs> I don't and I'm. I mean, I don't know if there's dislike of Ron Howard out there. I mean, Apollo 13, if nothing else, is pretty damn well respected. Yes. But I think there's a lot of like, why this project? Why why now? What are what do we hope to excavate with this that couldn't already be found with the book, which uh, Michael and I read? So I, I just, I am curious. I don't think that maybe, maybe the attention about uh, Ron Howard in this film and like, like the criticism of that is he's not really seen as the person who might be interested based on his past work in kind of peeking behind the curtain of what the movie's actually saying on the, you know, in, in, in the non subtext, uh, and <laughs> exploring that. So that'll be, that I think would make for a more interesting potential movie, but everything I've heard so far seems to point that that will not be the case. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. I do get a really big vibe of critics will think one thing, industry will think another. Uh, I don't know how necessarily that is going to play out, though, at this point. It, you know, it, it's so difficult because normally for movies like this, we would be so reliant on, like, how audiences are receiving it. Like, that was the thing that drove Green Book, even though critics were mixed on that movie. You just watched that film with an audience and you knew that it was going to be a hit. And it's harder to judge that now with movies like that. So I can kind of see the path happening where critics kind of write it off and then the industry just really likes the actors involved or the story that they're telling. But it's just really difficult to judge how successful that trajectory is going to be for that movie. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, critics will probably write it off and it's just going to end up being, you know, actors loving it just for Amy and Glenn and just for the, the ensemble and just saying, kind of like how Vice was, where you know people didn't really like what the movie was about or what it was saying, but at the end of the at the end of the day, they were like, "Well, Amy was good, Glenn's good, because they're Amy and Glenn." So I think it'll end up just being those two. Yeah, it kind of reminds me, sort of what Bombshell did, where that's a movie that okay. a lot of people liked but didn't really love it. And just really responded to the actors in the makeup. And that's basically how it shook out, despite some rather strong precursor support with that movie, too. And I, if I had to guess, that's where Hillbilly Elegy is headed. That's my predicted trajectory for it as well. Um, we mentioned earlier Kemp Powers uh, for Soul. Talked about One Night in Miami and the category placement. And obviously, uh, Miami, Florida in general, a lot in the news this week. Uh, so one night in Miami, uh, you know, I've talked with Michael uh, a bit about this off air uh, for a little while. And don't be surprised if that movie wins adapted screenplay. Maybe something else. Maybe maybe Leslie Odom Jr. does rise to the top in supporting actor. Maybe the song. Uh, and then, you know, maybe Regina King does indeed get that Best Director nomination. Best Picture could very well be in the cards for that movie uh, if everything goes right in its favor. But a lot has to go right, I, I would say. I, I think certainly a nomination. That makes sense in the year that we're having. And the fact that Regina King is just downright beloved by this industry, it seems. Uh, a win, less likely. I think it's a very talky film from what I understand. But if people see it enough, I think the nomination is certainly in the cards. Yep. It needs this many electoral votes in order to... No, I'm kidding. No <laughs> more. What is the path? <laughs> yep. The first half hour is very much a movie. And then once they get into the hotel room, that's when the play kicks in. And I think that's where it gets a little claustrophobic. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with that. And I worry about that because, quite frankly, I don't see the Academy ever going for 
a movie that feels constricted like a play as a Best Picture winner. Uh, that feels very unlikely. I mean, it's it's part of the reason why you don't have you don't see me with the father predicted or even Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which, by the way, Michael, are you still you still have that in number one? I don't. Uh, I've moved back to Chicago seven. OK, gotcha. I was just curious. Again, breaking news for our listeners. This will all be updated on the site by the time you hear this. What a thrill. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not kidding? how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's okay. what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That. That's just how <laughs> it works. What I want to do now is, uh, I clearly I've been watching too much CNN this week. I want to do a key race alert. Dun, da, 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 dun, 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 dun. Uh, I think the Chicago 7's path to victory is through Maricopa County. <laughs> Let's head on over to the polls. Now that the 2020 election is over, which film do you think will be the next Best Picture Oscar winner? We previously asked this question after the film festivals wrapped up. I thought now was a really appropriate time to ask this question again to figure out where the temperature was with everyone at the moment. So let's go around after all of our thoughts and discussion here. Let's crystallize it. Tom? What do you think is going to be the next Best Picture Oscar winner? I think it will be Chicago 7, but I would say look out for Minari. Oh, that was a film we didn't talk about. Really quickly, tell me why you think that is. It's got heart. It's a family drama that people can relate to. And it's very different than all of it's different from what I understand Mank is. It's certainly different than Chicago 7. And it's a small picture that just has so much um relatable heart to it that I think uh, voters might like it. I think that now that we are living in this uh, era of hope and decency and change, that movie is about an immigrant family who follows the American dream. And I think that that theme is something that is definitely going to resonate now with people more than ever uh, because our president-elect is preaching a message of tolerance for those people and giving everyone a fair shot, as he said. So I definitely think if there was another movie that got a little bit of a shot in the arm as far as Best Picture Heat goes, it is Minari. Mm-hmm. Good call out there, Tom. I'm surprised that uh, I didn't think to bring that up, actually, in our discussion there, but I'm glad that you did. Thank you, sir. And for the record, he also did mention in his uh, speech last night, Joe Biden, he did say the phrase, the whole world is watching, which, (laughs) conspiracy? Is Netflix whispering in Joe Biden's ear? I don't know. (laughs) All right, but let's hear now from Lauren. Lauren, what do you think is going to be the next Best Picture Oscar winner? I don't mean to copy Tom and be such a basic bitch, but as of right now, I will say Trial of the Chicago 7. I think that's the easiest path it has. But 
Minari is my most anticipated movie to watch. I can't wait to see it. And if there is a, mo- a little movie that could, that could pull a Moonlight 2.0, I think this is it. So I agree with Tom. Watch Alfred. Just, like, don't count it out. I definitely think it's going to get a lot more nominations now than if it would have if Trump got elected. All right. Let's hear now from Cody Derricks. Same, same, same. I'm thinking Chicago 7 right now, you know, in the harsh morning lights afterwards, does have the easiest path right now. Um, but we'll see what four or five months says. Michael? Yeah, I'm going to go with that film starring that nice Borat fellow and the presidential attorney. You know, Chicago 7. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Parham. I'm going to break the chain here and... You know what? I've been predicting Soul for I don't know how long at this point, and until proven otherwise, I'm just going to keep predicting it, because on the 1% chance that it does break that way, I can gloat over all of you about it forever, so I'm going to stick with it. I am going to be boring. I hate to say it. I am sticking with Travel to Chicago 7, and to be honest with you all, until we get to the guilds, I really don't think I am going to remove it from the number one position until we get there. It's a good pick. I think you should stay with it. Like, that is definitely the smart money right now, given everything. But I definitely have Soul at number two, because, like I mentioned before, in a year of change and people just wanting to feel good... And everything we went through this year with Black Lives Matter and this being uh, the first time that Pixar has had a person of color um, as the focus of one of their movies with a uh, co-director who is also black. There is an element to soul that I do think uh, could propel it, but it's in wait and see mode until the film is officially released on Christmas Day. Yeah, it's trial of the Chicago 7 until proven otherwise. Yeah. Alrighty, so that is the poll uh, for this week. Head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there. Let us know what you think is going to be the Next Best Picture Oscar winner. And for our poll results for last week, favorite Sean Connery film in honor of the late Sean Connery who passed away last week. Uh, Let's count down the top 10 here and see what everyone had to go with. Lauren, what is your favorite Sean Connery movie? Um, It's sentimental to me, but I would say Indiana Jones when he's the dad. It's cute. Oh, okay. All right, Tom. Robin and Marion. Nice. Cody? I mean, Goldfinger. Like, what? <laughs> it's got to be Goldfinger. Michael? Ooh, I think I'm also going to go with uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Josh? Um, Yeah, it has to be Goldfinger for me. I mean, that's a very obvious pick. And I'm going to go with, can you smell what The Rock <laughs> is cooking? <laughs> that's not the name of the movie. It's called The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bay's best movie. All right. Here. Here we go. Number 10 is The Name of the Rose. Name of the Rose, number 10. Okay. Number 9, Murder on the Orient Express. I remember nothing that he does in that movie, yeah, but okay. I completely <laughs> forgot he was in that. <laughs> the most memorable part of that movie is the score. Number 8, The Man Who Would Be King. It's a good one. He's really good in that. Number 7, Dr. No. I mean, it's the one that started it. Number six is The Rock. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Number five, From Russia with Love. Excellent. That is not something that Putin said this week, I'm sure. (laughs) Number four, The Hunt for Red October. I know a lot of people that really like that movie. Yeah. It's definitely a classic dad TNT movie. Yeah, if there I was going to say, every one. single one of them is a dad. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number three is Goldfinger. Mm-hmm. Number two, Brian De Palma's The Untouchables, which I'm surprised it placed that high, if you ask me. Well, this is Oscar win. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Number one, no. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. See, that's surprising. Nostalgia, man. I love his chemistry with Harrison Ford in that movie yeah. so much. It's Their back so and good. forth is so entertaining. I, 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 I'm not surprised that it won here. All righty, everyone. Now, only trailer for this week. From Neon, a little movie that released uh, at... That I'm sorry, a little movie that premiered at this year's Sundance Film Festival where I had the opportunity to see it. I had no idea. This was one of those going in completely blind movies. Didn't know the stars, didn't know the director, didn't know anything about this whatsoever. And the title of the movie itself was a little off-putting to me, as it might be to some of you at first glance. The movie's called The Killing of Two Lovers. But this is a movie that has remained in my top 10 all throughout the entire year so far, and it is one of the best independent movies I have seen. It is getting a release from Neon on February 23rd, and while I do not expect it to necessarily be an Oscar player, I wanted to talk about this trailer for two reasons. One, it really was the only trailer that we got this week, and two, I just wanted to put a spotlight on this little movie because, quite frankly, I do think it is that damn good and really should be uh, seen by you all. So, let's take a look at the trailer for The Killing of Two Lovers. Hey, Alex. Yeah? What do you call a pile of kittens? What? A mountain. Mountain. Live my life. Painted in a corner. You working? Yeah. This early? Yeah, Dad. Stop digging. I think we're doing the right thing. David, I love you. You love me. We're trying to figure this out. By the time. I'm listening, Dad. Love is a feeling, and feelings, they move in, they move out. Mom's cheating on you. Would you hit me? What's his name? Say bye, so I just want to come by and say goodnight, and I love you. I only agreed to do this because you promised me that we were going to work through this. You need to fight. You need to fight for us. David, can you look at me? This is my family. They're worth it. Now, when I first heard the title of this movie, I thought it was about Walking Phoenix and Letterman in 2009. <laughs> God damn it, Michael. I didn't expect that. 
very inside baseball. I love it. <laughs> uh, I, I have to admit, uh, every time that I've like gone to type out the title of this movie um, anywhere in any form, I always accidentally end up writing "The Killing of a Sacred Deer" by mistake. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, now, um, Clint Crawford, uh, the lead actor of this movie here, who plays um, the bearded fellow that you guys see in the trailer, his performance is outstanding in this movie and is so much better than I think anybody is, you know, going to necessarily give it credit for. Cinematography is also, you can tell just by the framing of some of these shots uh, for an independent movie is really, really good. And the drama of this movie, I mean, you you want to talk about like a, a movie that goes at, at its own pace, but has like this constant buildup of tension and dread. I mean, this movie has that in spades, real spades. It, it, really, may, it may yeah, seem odd, but I mean, it, to me, it's more of the trailer is more of a mood piece than a story piece. I still have no idea what's going on in this, but I do get the mood of it. I was really struck by the like kind of voyeuristic camera we're given, which really seems to fit in line with the themes of, you know, observing from afar in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks it looks really interesting to me. I. I, I agree that you get more of a tone from this trailer, not necessarily like what the plot is going to be. You can kind of figure it out, but it doesn't really lean that hard into it. But, you know, given especially your praise of it, Matt, I am very intrigued to see it. I'm also sort of interested in this sort of, I, I don't know, but like this uh, pattern or this wave that I have now seen of movies that have now really chosen to, shoot in a square aspect ratio i feel like it's happening more and more now and i don't really know what is causing this phenomenon but i just find it very fascinating that this is now becoming more common in movies these days right you think about obviously movies like the lighthouse or first reformed uh but you're right josh that we're seeing it just more and more uh in, in today's um you know cinematic landscape and i i i really really hope that we get uh, pretty soon, like a Best Picture uh, nominee that uh, goes this route. Because, you know, one thing about like Mank, for example, is I was very surprised that they didn't choose that aspect ratio, uh, considering how much the movie does pay homage to the past. Uh, instead, Fincher went with the widescreen uh, format. So I agree with you, though, that it lends something uh, to the movie that helps with the tension and the constrictive element. Uh, it really, really actually psychologically allows you to hone in on the characters and the drama and what this man is going through with his uh, wife, um, who he's separated from, but not officially divorced from yet. It's a really, really quiet movie, but... And you guys know me. I don't typically like slow, quiet movies, but this movie had something special to it. And once again, I, I highly urge you all to check it out if you can when it releases. I know by that point we will be, you know, very close to the Oscars. And I know that this is not going to necessarily contend, but it's still a small movie that I think does deserve to be seen. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. 
You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. And now we're up to fan questions uh, for this week. Let's take a look and see what the MVP film community had to send in. I'm very much looking forward to uh, answering uh, their questions this week, mostly because, honestly, after the election, I'm just feeling just more connected than ever, I think, to our listeners out there and uh, just to humanity in general. <laughs> you know, like, yes. it's been it's been a week for celebration community. I don't know about you guys, but I went out into the streets yesterday and I was dancing in the streets badly, might I add, but I was doing it. <laughs> so... <laughs> All right, let's take a look here. What do we got? Uh, here we go. Rosa from Rosa Reviews. I've been reading several articles about Oscar predictions, and I've been listening to your latest episodes, and nowhere have I seen anyone mention Paul Bettany for Uncle Frank. Is he entirely out of this race? From what I understood when that premiered at Sundance, I, I remember you liked it, Matt, but I don't think the reviews uh, were that rapturous for it to be in the Oscar conversation, but I'll be open to it if things start to change when it drops over Thanksgiving. Uh, I've seen it. He's the best thing about it. He's the only reason to see it. But I don't think it's an Oscar player. I I agree that the movie itself is not an Oscar player. And, you know, I'll even admit, like, when I saw it back at Sundance, I knew that as well. But I always thought that, if anything, at a bare minimum, uh, he could be in the conversation. You know, get maybe a Golden Globe knob or something here or there. But I never kind of expected it to be like a mainstay that would materialize into a win or anything like that. If anything, I was just hoping that people would recognize that Paul Bettany, you know, is giving a great performance and he's one of our actors that I feel like hasn't had a showcase role like this in quite some time. Yes. Ian Balaklock, based on the submissions so far for best international feature, which we got a lot of this week, what would you recommend people need to see from what I've seen? I've enjoyed beginning night of the Kings and collective. I was really happy that Guatemala chose La Llorona, uh, which was this uh, new horror movie about uh, it's <laughs> it does share, you know, part of a title with an unfortunate movie from last year. Uh, but this is much better. Um, it's technically a horror film but it's more of like a horror drama in a way. Um, I wasn't scared at all, but it does tell this amazing story about um, a Guatemalan uh, uh dictator who was being brought down um and it's ties the folklore into the modern day politics in a way that i found really really interesting and i highly recommend it it's uh, streaming pretty much everywhere right now wasn't the um the orphanage uh also chosen as a foreign language submission back in 2007 I believe so let me double check i, th- um, I think it might have been yeah. i don't think lyron will be nominated uh i really don't believe think that but if only if if anything that gives you know more indication that you should be watching it now because it's probably not gonna be nominated. yeah the only reason why i ask this is because um i i i mean without actually digging into statistics off the top of my head i believe it is very very rare for a horror movie to receive a country's submission for best international feature germany also submitted good name Ami a few years ago uh, which obviously didn't pay out but off the top yeah. of my head i can't really think of anything else no, I mean, maybe Pan's Labyrinth you can kind of see in that conversation. It's yeah. more fantasy, but, you know, it has yeah. horror elements to it. Um, I know Mexico hasn't officially submitted anything yet, but I would assume that they're probably down to either New Order or I Carry You With Me. Ooh, that's a tough choice to make. 
Yeah, I, I would assume that I would be shocked if it wasn't either one of those. And they're both very good for very, very different reasons um, and speak to the moment in very different ways as well. And they're fascinating movies. And e- either one would be a good representation for Mexico this year. So it's interesting because when I think about those two movies and I've seen both, I Carry You With Me feels like the safer choice of the two. But there is this buzz and this heat around New Order that I feel that if it does get selected, let me tell you, even if you don't like the movie, it makes an impression. Oh, yeah. And you definitely do not forget about it once it's over. So that's a really tough call. I I really if, if I was in charge of that decision, personally, I probably would go with New Order. But. The question then becomes, am I gunning for a nomination or am I gunning for a win? Because if I'm gunning for a win, I don't know if I pick New Order. But if I'm gunning for a nomination, I pick New Order. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And what I also find fascinating is that both of those films actually kind of represent a a world in which there is a Biden presidency and one in which there is a Trump presidency. (laughs) You know, it's almost like (laughs) those two actually do kind of reflect a certain mood of where things are politically. And now I think that conversation is different in like international feature than it is for best picture, but it is something else that kind of layers uh, the conversation in terms of what, what movies will get chosen out of that group. I I find that to be actually pretty fascinating. I 100% recommend that people check out another round for obvious reasons. Yeah. And I also recommend Quo Vitis Aida as well. Uh, that has already been selected. It was one of the earliest ones to actually get selected. And I know that that one's going to be really tough to find. I know that the profile for it is going to be very, very small. But if you hear anything about it, definitely watch it. It You want to talk about a movie that had an impact. I mean, that movie ripped my heart out and made me cry and was a extremely intense, like, son of Saul kind of, you know, immersive filmmaking that just really put you in the middle of a very, very intense narrative. And I think that in that regard, it's also very unforgettable. Um, has anyone here seen My Little Sister? I have not, no. I have not yet either. Um, has anyone here seen Collective? No. no. That's another one I'm hearing buzz on as well. Um, uh, Greece just submitted Apples. Oh, the uh, the non Yorgos Land for most movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I did see that back at Venice, and it's okay. I don't I don't anticipate it getting the nomination. I think it could make the shortlist for sure. Um, it it really does feel like one of those movies that maybe the special committee would sort of save it. I don't know if that's enough to get it over the hump to be nominated, but considering that it has the blessing of Yorgos Lanthimos, that might be just enough to get people to at least watch it in the first place. How are you feeling, Josh, about Summer of 85? You know, that's one of those movies that I'm... I have it in the list just because we don't have really any other information about what France will choose. We go through this every year because there's so many French movies that could qualify for it that we just don't know what's going to happen. I... I would be doubtful of it getting a nomination, even if they did select it, but it's one of the higher profile titles that they have right now. So that will work in its benefit. It's hard to say because we go through this every year with France. We just have no idea what they're going to pick. 
And then uh, based on the reviews that you all have seen for The Life Ahead uh, starring Sophia Loren, how is everyone feeling about that if Italy selects it? I feel like it's guaranteed to get in if Italy selects it. Definitely. (laughs) Good. Okay. Regarding Italy, what about that uh, Pinocchio movie that premiered? I think it was yeah. late last year, early this year. Is that even in the running? Because I heard that was pretty good. It got really good reviews, like shockingly good reviews. Yeah, and it, what happened to it? Is it was it by uh, Matteo Garon. Hmm. Because I feel like it came out around New Year's in Italy. Yeah, yeah I it's know already definitely... been released in, in Italy, so it could qualify for this year's race if they chose to submit it. I think the problem, though, is that the buzz just seems to be non-existent for it. Well, it came out and then the world shut down. So then we stopped talking about movies for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, too, can we just mention that uh, it is really, really annoying. Uh, and uh, Nathaniel Rogers from the Film Experience also pointed this out that Bulgaria submitted The Father for the Oscars for Best International Feature. And it's not The Father by Florian Zeller. It's just another movie <laughs> called The Father. <laughs> It's like, damn it, why do you have to confuse us? Now we have to make a distinction every single time. You know, the father, you know, the one starring Anthony Hopkins, not that other one from Bulgaria. All righty. Oh, and uh, Josh, I know that you recently saw this one too, Charlatan uh, from Czech Republic. What'd you think of that one? Yeah, uh, I really wasn't that big of a fan of it, but... um, Oh, I forget the director's name, but she did uh, Europa Europa. Ooh. Um, so, so a very well that, respected uh, filmmaker that, behind that one. Is yeah. that Nieska Holland? I think so, yeah. Um, like I said, I really wasn't a big fan of Charlton, but, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. It The fact that it has somebody behind it who's sort of already an established filmmaker that's in sort of the kind of club i don't know we'll we'll see all right good conversation here on this uh very very interesting oscar category that still has a lot of time to develop james robert scott what do you see as a potential random lone nominee at any of the precursors think steve coogan for stan and ollie at the baftas or michael douglas for wall street money never sleeps at the golden globes Ooh. <laughs> okay That's- I like this question. Ooh, I kind of mentioned it before. I'll say it again. Uh, Paul Bettany for Uncle Frank and uh, Golden Globes uh, drama is like not out of the realm of possibility. If that's the only place that he shows up. I could see Sasha Baron Cohen getting Borat for the Globes. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Uh, I'm thinking about Rashida Jones for On the Rocks at the Globes. Tracy Ellis Ross for The High Note. Anya Tella Joy for Emma. I mean, I mean, Globes is like the place to look, right? For those one-off. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, SAG has those like, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let, let me think more specifically about like BAFTA and SAG when you're condensed. I, I have, I, I have one in a movie that I saw uh, this past week that uh, the reviews dropped for it, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw consideration towards Leslie Manville showing up somewhere for Let Him Go. In best supporting actress. I could see that as like a SAG thing. She got pretty good reviews and the movie's yeah. doing pretty well. Yeah. Right. She has the same vibe as Melissa Leo in The Fighter. Yeah. Uh, one that I'm going to throw out, mainly just because I want to make sure that we keep saying this name, uh, is Robin De Jesus for The Boys of the Band. Mm. Where do you think he would show up uh, of the precur- of all the precursors? I feel think? like maybe at SAG, because especially since we know that SAG is a usually Netflix friendly organization to begin with. And, you know, 
I'm, I'm not saying that it's a guarantee to happen, but I could see that popping up and be like, oh, there's that's a weird one that just showed up. But like maybe we need to pay attention to it. So I'm actually going to go again. We were talking about shoots and ladders before uh, one that was at the very top of our predictions and then shot down for many of us. I think Sarah Ronan and Ammonite might go the path of Margot Robbie and Mary Queen of Scots. Interesting. So mm-hmm. only SAG and BAFTA. Yeah. Hmm. I could totally see that. Same. People are like, that. oh, is that a thing now? And then by Oscars, it gets a goose egg. Yeah. I, I think if anybody in that film will will get something, I think it would be her. All right. This is a fun question. Paul Rye at Crazy Martin 434. In a pre-COVID world, choose up to two to three movie characters you would love to go Black Friday shopping with. Be as silly and ridiculous as you can be. <laughs> Stanley Tucci from The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew somebody was going to say it. (laughs) Guidance. I cannot dress myself. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. Uh, I would say Paul Giamatti in Sideways. (laughs) Ooh, I'm doing Blake Lively's character for a simple favor. Uh, Oh, well, go shopping with her. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Those suits, man. I really, really want to go uh, shopping with... um, GG from Booksmart. <laughs> That'd be a fun time. My my mind is going blank. I'm just thinking of like you know costumes I like in movies and thinking, oh, I would want to go up with them. But my mind is just shot right now. So you can honestly just say Anne Hathaway and Emily Blunt from The Devil Wears Prada, and I won't hold it against you, Michael. <laughs> they they would be fun shopping companions. That that is true. Uh, maybe they could you know up the sense of style for anyone they go out with. Yeah, I'm gonna actually just not answer that part of the question. And I'm going to say Colin Atwood and Sandy Powell. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I love it. You yeah, getting very sharp today. <laughs> uh, this one comes from that CM guy, 1988 in honor of Joe Biden, uh, American mankind's victory, <laughs> mankind's victory. I love it. What is the most satisfying moment in any movie that you guys have ever seen? <laughs> no pressure. Uh, this isn't maybe the most, but off the top of my head, the very last shot of Knives Out is just pure satisfaction. Yeah, I remember erupting in the theater uh, when that happened. That was right, when you realize what's what we're looking at, what's happening, what the implications yep. of it are. It's just fantastic. Yeah, oh, that that whole movie is just so satisfying. I have to go with one of my favorite movies of all time when Andy is reunited with Red on the beach at Shawshank and they hug each other as the credits go. I I just it to me, it's like the ultimate feel good ending of all time. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like just gesturing at everything in Mad Max Fury Road and just being like that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go back to my science fiction roots is when I'm Sarah Connor kills the Terminator in the Terminator. Oh, I just oh, rewatched yeah. that. It's that awesome. And I'm just like, you get him, girl. Yeah. <laughs> now, was she good Terminator or a bad Terminator? No, I'm kidding. Full <laughs> news Terminator. For me, for me, I think it is that shot of Kevin Spacey's feet at the very last shot of The Usual Suspects. Oh, my God. The transition to him walking fully. Oh, my God. Yes. I literally, I will never forget it. First time I ever watched that movie, I was laying in my bed. And I was on the edge of my bed, like laying on my side. And when that happened, I actually fell off the bed onto the floor. (laughs) I was in shock and disbelief. My mother, I was living at my parents' house at the time, ran up the stairs. And she was like, are you okay? I heard a loud thud. And I was like, ma, ma. And she's like, oh, you're watching The Usual Suspects. Isn't this movie great? (laughs) 
Yes, enjoy this movie now because it will in no way age poorly in the future. I know. <laughs> Time has not been kind. Uh, since we're in political mode this week my answer is going to be I don't, I don't know if this is all time but it's certainly a satisfying moment it is the final shot of Tommy Lee Jones in Lincoln oh when he takes off the the, the wig yes. and, yeah. yeah it's really as good as he leaves the congress that is perfection uh, Isaiah Washington at Isabod 13i one's gotta go war films Dunkirk glory Black Hawk Down saving Private Ryan Black Hawk Down same <sighs> Uh, I've never bought Matthew Broderick in Glory, so I'm going to bounce that. Oh, yeah. yeah you know I what? I, dumb, but Denzel is so good. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Denzel is great, but I'm sorry. Glory is not that great. Yeah, it's really not. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I'll agree. Oh, um, Dunkirk. Sorry. No, there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> the others have characters in them that I feel an emotional connection to, where with Dunkirk, I don't feel that. It's a very, very good experimental film in terms of how to make a war movie, and it's certainly very unique, but it's the one thing about that movie that makes it stand out from the others for me that makes it easy to kind of separate it. Yeah, but to me, the problem that I always come back to with Glory is that I just have a, such a hang-up that that movie is about Matthew Broderick's character. Like, why is he the main character of that film? It annoys me so much. Even though there is a really great Denzel Washington performance in it, the fact that that is not the focus of the movie, I think, brings a lot of the elements of that film down to me. Uh, Daniel B. at Film and Sports 21. Who is your all-time favorite film hero? Hmm. He's Sarah Connor. That's a good choice. She's cool. She is cool. <laughs> I've said this before, but either Marge from Fargo or Clarice from House of the Lambs. I really, ha I, you know what? I love Furiosa so much. I got to go with Furiosa. It's one of my, one of my favorite all time movie characters, honestly. Yeah, I feel like just to keep the theme going, I have to say uh, Ripley from Aliens. Yeah. Love it. And I love that we're not saying superheroes <laughs> right now. Well, I think we relate more to real people. Yeah, I think I'm actually going to go uh, again with Clarice from Silence of the Lambs. Nice. Bitches get stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. And we're going to finish this week off with Ethan May. Choose what movie you should have won an Oscar for, but you were knowingly replacing the winner of that year. Director's Edition. Paul Greengrass. Oh. It sucks because my answer is probably in any threes. I know, work, but, but that's Scorsese. Mm -hmm. I'm not taking it away from Scorsese no. for United 93. I am, however, going to say Captain Phillips over Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity. Yeah, right. that's, that. what, that's okay. what I'll say. That's a good one. Yeah. Knowing that he'll win again a few years later, yeah. that works. Yeah. Uh, Michael Mann. Heat. Oh, that's easy. The Insider. Heat. Come on. Oh, yeah. Heat. Gibson. Heat. Bye. Yeah. I, I prefer The Insider, but I will happily take away Mel Gibson's Oscar. Yeah. And I yeah. like Braveheart, yeah. but like, no. <laughs> yeah, I'll take either one, but I, I like The Insider more than Heat. Yeah, but Sam Mendes actually is a really good Best Director winner for American Beauty. Mm -hmm. You like The Insider more than Heat? Oh, I love it, The Insider. Oh yeah, yeah, I do too. I do too. It's great, but heat is oh, heat. Oh, mama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you feel the heat, Cody? <laughs> Properly names, yeah. Uh, Wes Anderson. Oh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Easy, exactly. Yeah, 
In the Artwins, the next freaking year, it's fine. I agree. Mm-hmm. Is, is it just in the category of best director? Uh, yes. Oh, best yeah. screenplay too. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that works. Yeah, yeah. I guess 2014. I, I'm not the biggest fan of Budapest, but it's taken away from your too, which I am very happy to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stanley Kramer. Ooh, it's a really good one. Mm, yeah. Okay, so like for example, uh, I'll give a couple here. You have Judgment at Nuremberg uh, versus Robert Wise for West Side Story. You have Guess Who's Coming to Dinner against Mike Nichols for uh, The Graduate. Uh, oh, I got it. He can win. Um, he can win for the Defiant Ones over uh, who the hell directed Gigi? Oh, uh, Vincent Minnelli. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Okay, I could do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah I don't hate Gigi, but the direction in that is not not it. Or you could say. Uh, High Noon over Cecil B. DeMille for The Great oh, Show on Earth. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's the answer. Oh, that's the answer. Well, no, but oh wait, sorry. sorry, sorry wind directed that, year. that was yeah. Fred Zinnemann directed uh-huh. it. Sorry. He was nominated. Yeah, that, uh, John Ford won, but that was his fourth Oscar, so even still. Wait a minute. Enough. I got it. It's a mad, mad, mad world. I was going to say that. Yeah. Tony Richardson Tom for Tom Jones. Jones. Yeah. Tom Jones. Oh, sucks, I like that. So. <laughs> yeah. I think I have to go with that, actually. Yeah. This way I'm not killing my darlings and I can just kill Tom Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Tom Jones is a snore. It's yeah. my least favorite Best Picture winner. Yeah. Mad mm, World is not a great movie, but it's better than Tom Jones. I just find it confounding. Like, I mean, that lineup sucks that year. It's like the 2011 of the oh, 60s, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. But like, woof. Oh, this yeah. is going to be a tough one. Peter Weir. Ooh. Uh, I mean, I think I could give it to him for Witness. 1985? So yeah. Pollock, right? Yeah. Oh, that, you're right. Yeah, that is I the same so. year. Yes. Okay, that is easy yeah. then. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I do give it to him anyway. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, my brain immediately went to Truman Show versus Spielberg, and I was like, oh, no, I, don't, I can't uh, do that. But, yes, yeah. Witness over Out of Africa, that's that's an easy call. Yeah. Yeah, that works for me. Yeah. Totally. No disrespect to Sidney Pollack, love you, but you know, not for out yeah. of Africa. No. Frederico Fellini. Again, he can take it over whoever the hell directed Tom Jones for eight and a half. Tony Richardson, bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah. See ya. Because even if Tom Jones still wins Best Picture, the direction is an even more confounding win to me. I, I, I agree. And then the last one, Denis Villeneuve. Oh, gosh. Um, I would give it to him for prisoners over Quaron again. Now, is that just because you really agree with that decision or is it just because, you know, Quaron's winning later? Uh, no, because I agree with it. I love prisoners. It's my favorite movie of that year. And I really did not understand the Quaron sweep yeah. uh, that year at all. I am with you. Uh, prisoners was my favorite film of the year. And um, I would give it to him for that. <clears throat> I, I'm not ready to give him a director win yet. I would be happy to give him a foreign language for Ansandi. But Michael, you got to choose one. If we absolutely have to, and I truly mean if we absolutely have to, then I am giving it to him for a rival and then giving Damien Chazelle the 2018 best director for First Man. I think that if I had to, I would pick Sicario. I think I'll do a rival. Um, oh, God. Uh, Good luck, Matt. Um, all of these are really difficult. You know, there's there's two. I have two choices here. I I, I do think that Incendies over the King's Speech. I think that that makes sense. But Blade Runner twenty forty nine is my favorite film of twenty seventeen, and as much as I love Guillermo del Toro, I have no problem making that call either. 
Wait, so wait, Matt. Does that mean he wasn't your best director winner for 2017, Villeneuve? Actually, no, he wasn't. Mm. Uh, no, I believe my director uh, award that year, if I remember correctly, went to Nolan just because of the sheer how the hell did he do that <laughs> level? Okay. I mean, that makes sense that I had a split that year, too. And I think I had Nolan for my director. So I, I get it. It's just you're one of the few people I know who would place Blade Runner 2049 as their number one. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because like Nolan's direction in Dunkirk just reminds me so much of like Francis Ford Coppola with like Apocalypse Now, where you just look at the sheer practicality of like all the stuff that has to be organized on set to achieve the shot. You know, there's real helicopters like in the background. There's real stuff on fire. There's all these people in the frame. And then like you watch Dunkirk and you're like, how is none of this CGI or at least very, very little of it? And it's just that same level of. There's not a filmmaker in Hollywood that have that would have the balls to pull this off. I, I love the fact that, that we're all over the place in terms of our favorite uh, Villeneuve films. Until June 2021. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> we'll see. All right, uh, Michael, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet, and if you want to say anything else before we go, you can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Uh, it's a good day to be here. I'm just happy to be doing this and continuing on over these next. Uh, months and years and however much time we have so thank you thank you all righty lauren you guys can follow me on the twitter at lauren lamango josh parm you can find me on twitter at jr parm tom o'brien this has been such a positive experience i love it you can find me at thomas e o'brien on twitter and Cody Derricks. I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram at CodyMonster91. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. And as I mentioned this week on Twitter, now that the election results are in, I promised I am delivering. It is happening. The ballots for the MVP Film Community Awards for 2016 are going out this week. You will be able to cast your nominations. It's happening later than I wanted to. I genuinely wanted to do it last week. But honestly, it was just so hard to concentrate on anything else other than what was happening with the election. So now that that's behind us, a little bit later than I wanted, but it is happening. So those nomination ballots will go out. You guys will have uh, enough time to cast those ballots for your favorites of 2016. Uh, we have one more Patreon podcast review from that year to give you all, and that is going to be the Best Picture nominee, Hell or High Water, which will be released this week. Very much looking forward to revisiting it, talking about it and also seeing uh what the next best picture team as it stands right now is going to do with their nominations because uh michael you know you remember this back in 2016 very small team very small makeup of what we thought was the best of that year and we've had time to catch up on some things too yeah absolutely it's everything full circle absolutely so thank you all very very much for your patience with that uh we will be handing those out you have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can listen to us on anywhere where podcasts can be subscribed to. Uh, you can also give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you feel so inclined. It helps people to discover our show, which we really, really appreciate. If you love this show, uh, we highly urge you to tell at least one person that also loves movies about our show. And if you can leave us a review there, it also will help out as well. And if you're feeling generous beyond that point, as I mentioned before, we have the Patreon podcast episodes over at Patreon for $1 minimum a month. You will get that exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. And I mean this this time, really. As always, we 
shall see you all next time. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.